In professional sports, a franchise player is an athlete who is not simply the best player on their team, but one that the team can build their franchise around for the foreseeable future. Welcome to a brand new edition of Franchise Players here on WWBG 1470 AM, your home for Tribe Sports Talk. Every Friday afternoon during the TGI Friday lineup, myself and an array of others, you can catch all kinds of different types of sports talk based here, produced here in the Triad of North Carolina. Got a loaded show for you today. David Glenn stopping by his bi-weekly trip into the sports buffet. He'll talk to us about Michigan sign stealing. He'll talk to us a little about ACC basketball, a little ACC football. We got a little, all kinds of stuff. NFL, we got all kinds of stuff to talk to with him about. Mark Pruitt, beat writer for the Wood-Salem Journal um, for prep sports. He'll stop by as well. Got a couple of huge matchups coming up here uh, in high school football playoffs. Round two is upon us. I actually got to leave here in just a bit to go do East Forsyth versus Independence. That's in Kernersville. That will be on WTOB tonight at 7 p.m. and on TobaccoRoseForceRadio.com. Um, can't remember who Grimsley's playing. I'll get that before the segment's over, but we got them as well. 7.30 p.m. Uh, Sun Valley. I'm sorry. Grimsley's hosting Sun Valley. Uh, 7.30 p.m. on WCOG and, of course, also on Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Nobody does prep sports bigger than we do. Before we get to DG, before we get to Mark Pruitt, had to, uh, last week we did a preview for North Carolina Hoops with the Athletics' Brendan Marks. Uh, got me excited about him. I watched the exhibition that week before, and I was stunned to see that there was more than two kids that could actually shoot a basketball. Um, it's been <laughs> a long time since I've seen a Carolina team actually shoot it, and you're, and it's not like one of two kids that are shooting all the threes. Uh, they got some shooters over there, so I was surprised about that. Brennan uh, talked to me a little about that. So I knew when we were done, I wanted to do a Duke preview too. Granted, the season's already started. We're all you know about one game in, uh, and Duke's got a huge game against Arizona and uh, probably not the favorite of the Duke faithful, Caleb Love, showing back up in Durham um, on Friday. But it should be a good game. Arizona's ranked, I think, number 12 in the country right now. Duke's ranked number four, if I'm not mistaken. And we bring on the host from the Devil's Den podcast, Josh Smith and Dustin Shue. What's going on, fellas? What's happening, Des? How you doing, man? Man, doing good. Doing good. Staying busy. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't even know what time it is or day it is. Like, it's just one of those <laughs> the days just running to each other right now. But as long as we're staying busy, it's all good. It's basketball um, season. That's what it's time basketball it is. season. Yeah. I'm the, up now. Because yeah. no one will even think about college basketball really hard till around Thanksgiving. But sure. uh, and the NBA, like around Christmas, that's usually mm-hmm. for me, my mental clock kind of goes that way. But this year, I think it's the first year since maybe 2019 I've been really excited about college basketball. Um, I've always said 2019 is that that lynch point where we, we kind of got to the peak of college basketball of how it was going to be. And then everything after that, 2020 COVID, all that stuff, just mm-hmm. years for Carolina and Duke uh, in that stretch there. So it feels like we're getting more back to normal. Um, I want to talk about Kyle Filipowski before we go any further, because it seems like everything stops and goes with him. The sophomore uh, decided to come back instead of trying his luck in the NBA. Uh, he's returning uh, for a sophomore season as a preseason All American. What is your ex- what are your expectations for Kyle Pilipowski this year? Uh, what are you expecting from him in terms of output, leadership, that kind of thing as he goes from freshman year to sophomore year under John Shire? You want to go? I'll, I'll take it. Um, I mean, we we just talked about it on a podcast last week. We kind of did a, a season preview. 
I think I went a little higher than Josh. I expect him around 18, 18 and a half points a game, mm-hmm. uh, nine or 10 rebounds. I think last year he averaged 15 and a half and nine. Uh, and now he's got two good, good hips. So I'm going to yeah. bump him up to 18 and a half. Uh, same about the same rebounds, although he will be playing the five a little bit more this year. Um, so hopefully he'll grab one or two more uh, leadership. As far as that goes, I, I mean, he's going to be a vocal guy, but I think Tyrese and some of the guard, like, Tyrese being the point guard, he's kind of the one that I'm looking at being like the the, the leader, him and Jeremy. Um, but, uh, you know, Flip being the best player, he's going to get his, his voice into. You know, it, I, I got a chance to see Filipowski up close. Uh, I was at the ACC uh, tournament, uh, the championship night when they played Virginia, and I was on Press Row. Mm-hmm. So I was sitting there watching him. It's the first time I really got a chance to see him, not on TV. He reminds me of the traditional old school Duke centers, like back to the basket and get in the paint. And just work for it. Like his footwork is incredible. Like I, I, I love what he does down in the paint. And for me, I'm old school. I prefer inside out basketball. I'd rather you dump it into a center. He kicks it back out, or he does something in the paint. And Filipowski kind of fits that to a T. Um, Josh, what are your thoughts on Filipowski going into this season? What are your expectations for him? For me, it's not that I'm looking for so much of a, a jump in statistical numbers, but a growth in efficiency. That's what I want, right? Be more efficient. Last year, he he kind of got in trouble a few times in the lane trying to do the the spin move or the the dribble could get a little loose. Um, so hoping to, to just clean that up and be more efficient. He's got a lot more weapons on the perimeter this year. Um, I think the biggest question mark, though, for me is can he anchor a defense playing the five? What is that going to look like? You don't have Lively out there protecting the rim. I'm not expecting Flip to all of a sudden become Lively, but we got to have some sort of rim protection this year, um, especially going against Baycott, going against some of these other guys. We'll see Arizona's got like a 7-3 guy. Um, yeah. So how does he hold up on that end and still deliver offensively, I think, is going to be the biggest question. Yeah, we were talking off air before we started. Um, uh, of course, people know I produce. Uh, I'm the production partner for North Carolina A&T Athletics, and they open up with Pitt on Monday. Uh, Pitt was up like 53 to 18 or something at one point in the first mm-hmm. half. Like it, it got really bad as the game went on. They ended up winning by close to 50. But um, Spencer Turkin was telling me before the game, he, he was doing the game uh, play-by-play for us, and he was like, yeah, man, Pitt has like four dudes that are 6'10 or taller like on their roster. So they may be a name to keep an eye out on. Uh, keep an eye on. I, I don't know for sure because the ACC still kind of feels kind of down, maybe a little top heavy up top. And we'll get to that in just a bit. But uh, to your point, Josh, yeah, they might need some rim protection with some of these bigger teams coming in. Uh, it feels like college basketball is older um, this year as opposed to previous years, too. And that affects you guys. You know, you it's weird for me because it's a different vibe this year for Duke. You've got four returning starters coming back. And I was trying to think of the last time you had that many coming back in a year do you any do either one of you know off the top 2010 of yeah when john okay. john and well actually i don't know if that was four that might have just been three that might have been uh shire singler nolan mm. coming back maybe lance Th- thomas might have been a, a starter as a junior so it's mm. been at least that long since we've had this kind of like over a decade yeah, yeah over a decade yeah. For sure. like 13 years counting uh since then so when i saw that i was just like huh i wonder how long it's been and i started thinking back and i was just like Sorry, my chihuahua was losing her mind. I think my core. <laughs> but um, sorry. Um, <laughs> do you do you prefer this method? Because I know one of the things that the Shire was talking about when he first came in last year was to kind of get away from the one and done type of stuff. Not necessarily get away from it. You're still going to go after the top players. We're going to talk about who's on your shirt there, Dustin, in just a bit. But. Do you do you uh, do you prefer this method to what he's doing right now, where it's kind of he's keeping guys around, he's bringing in top classes still, but the classes are more. I feel like when I look at the classes, there are more guys that are prone to stay longer than a year. 
like at least yeah. two years, maybe three years, that kind of thing. Still highly rated, top 10, top 15 kids, four-star kids. Um, or do you prefer the the Zion Williamson 2019 type of method where it's, you know, you got the number one, number two, number three recruit coming in. They're starting. Uh, I think they have, they started two sophomores with them. <laughs> like, I mean, it's super yeah. young, but they're overly talented, but you're only going to keep them for like eight months. Like, do you prefer that method where you've got the super, super talent, like the uber talented kids, or do you prefer what Shire's doing now, which is a, a good mix of top 10 rated players and, uh, you know, vets that he's picked up out of the portal and whatnot. Yeah, I think for for me at least, you know, Shire said he wanted to get older, and I believe that's what he's done, you know, at least bringing some of these guys back. Obviously, Tyrese could have left. Flip could have left. I think Flip having the surgery obviously kind of helped out with that decision. Um, But just having guys, you know, it's hard to play really good elite basketball when you've only been playing together for a couple weeks. You look back at those Carolina teams and you have Joel Berry and Theo Pence, and those guys are – top recruits, but they're there for two, three, four years. Right, and so yeah. they get more time together as a unit and they understand their roles a lot better than just throwing them together in, you know, a couple of weeks. So I would like for, you know, to see a, a McCain or a Foster, uh, TJ Power, some of these freshmen that we have, at least a couple of them come back next year. We know we're going to lose probably Flip, probably Tyrese, maybe Mark Mitchell, Ron Young's out of eligibility. So we'll need a whole new, another set of guys coming in. Um, but it'd be nice to have some pieces to to show them the way that, you know, come along. And, and I think that, for me, with the rival and everything, I think that's what was missing on the Duke side is that the, the guys were leaving so fast that we you didn't hate them. You can't hate them fast enough. didn't grow hatred for them. They were only here for eight, eight months. Like, yeah. it's hard to hate a kid. Like, it's hard for me to hate Cam Reddish when I only knew him for, like, <laughs> like a season. You know what I mean? Like, right. we, usually it grows. Like, by the time Grayson Allen got to yeah. senior year, yeah. That hate had grown into this like fire, <laughs> like the sun of like just because he had, he compiled a resume at that point of yeah, things right. before, and yeah, he might be the last one, you know, yeah. he might be the last Duke player where it was just a genuine universal hate towards um, for being good and just being just just weird, <laughs> like <on the> court, <laughs> like just doing things you're not supposed to do on a basketball court. He might be the last one because I'm sitting here thinking I actually enjoyed watching Zion play. Um, you know, I've enjoyed. Some of the kids that have come in since then, but th- all of us have gone through a, uh, a sense of restart uh, with our programs over the past four years or so. Uh, you know, l- legendary Hall of Fame coaches uh, retiring. You're bringing in guys that played within those systems. They're trying to build their own systems, yet still stay relevant with the, what got them there in the first place. Um, Josh, same question for you. Do you prefer the top heavy, super talented recruits coming in and basically getting starts from day one and you kind of live and die with their age? Or do you prefer what Shire's doing right now where it's kind of going back to what Kate was doing pre Kyrie Irving where right. yeah, he was getting top recruits, but it, you had juniors and seniors in front of him and you know he was playing 10 guys and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's a it's hard to answer it because it's, you know, like 2015 was really fun. You know, you bring in Tyus Jones, you bring in Jaleel, you bring in Justice, and they get it done. Mm-hmm. 2019 was really fun, too. I mean, you have Zion. So it's hard to say, you know, I, I would throw that away. But I do agree there is something to be said of, like, I'm really excited to watch Tyrese as a sophomore, Filipowski as a sophomore. Um, I don't think we're ever going to get back to – the four-year like model of having that level of player for four years. I think you just have to go further down to the three-star kind of guy, the fringe four-star. But if you can get those 
top 25, top 30-ish guys for two years, that might be the best way to try to recruit a class and say, okay, we're, we're on a two-year plan, right? Everyone's on a two-year plan. Um, you're still going to have a lot of turnover that way, but you get a little bit more buy-in. And I think for Duke fans, man, we were just burnt on that model. Because if you get the Zion class, it's really fun for eight months, but if you don't get another one, you're struggling for the next eight months. So it's it's tough out there. And not all classes have that type of talent. So if yeah. they don't have it, you're screwed. <laughs> yeah. And really, if you look around the landscape of college basketball, Duke's not the only school that's changed their their mentality on that. Uh, Kentucky is the same way, uh, yeah. where they were, they were even heavier than Duke in terms of like what they were bringing in and then swapping mm-hmm. out every eight, nine months. And Calipari kind of saw it too, that he needed to keep some dudes around. And for, to your point, Josh, for what you're saying about you don't think we're going to see, you know, four-year guys anymore, whatever. If we do, I think they'll be more like Armando Baycott or the kid at uh, Kentucky, uh, the center that I can't pronounce his last name, where those big men still haven't found a place at the level above, like right. the pros yet. Um, they're not exactly back-to-the-basket type guys. Well, Baycott kind of – well, yeah, Baycott is, actually. He's probably part of a dying breed, but he's also been in Carolina for eight years, it feels like. so. Well, right. that's probably the reason why, too, right? Like, his yeah. game isn't suited for the NBA, so you get a guy that's – recruited you know that high and that you can keep for four years because he's probably just not going to have a a role in the nba that's i mean that's a a thing to look for is we want a really good player that's nba-esque but probably doesn't have a role there so he'll be here for a couple years and i don't think right and then you can transfer out so you got to keep them too that's the hard it's hard to keep that four-year guy man like at the top programs he's probably making more money here in chapel hill than he would in minnesota or whatever anyway or whatever their g league team is so um they're they're doing the right thing i think uh and taking advantage of the rule changes that changed while they were here um with me dustin shu and josh smith the uh the host of the devil's den podcast you can find out on all major podcast platforms who's your vote for mvp team mvp by season's end Whew. I'm uh, going Tyrese. That's that's going to be me. I'm going to go Tyrese Proctor. Um, I think he's too important. Too okay. important. I think the point guard position is the most important position. I think flip the numbers are going to be there. Like he could win ACC Player of the Year. But if you're asking me who the most important guy is, yeah, I mean, just the other night, Tyrese gets two quick fouls. We go on a four minute drought. He comes back in the game. We immediately go five for six. There, it that's is. my guy. Yeah, yeah. Dustin. No, I agree. I agree with that. I mean, I think he's right. Like. Flip will probably get all the, the more accolades, but I think like Josh just said, like you you really don't have this team operating at its highest level without Tyrese. I mean, eight assists in that first game. I mean, he's he's gonna be out there kind of, you know, stirring the uh the drink for us. Let's uh I've been trying to avoid it, but I can't anymore. Uh the shirt you got on, Dustin. Um <laughs> Number one rated high school recruit, Cooper Flag, uh, picks Duke. I'm not upset he picked Duke. I'm kind of used to the number one recruit picking Duke at this point. Like, that didn't really – I saw people going, oh, he's going to Duke. I'm like, where was he going to go? <laughs> where else was he going to go? I know it was him. It was you guys in UConn, I think it was, at the end. Yeah, yeah it was Yeah, it wasn't. Come on. Think was, you got to have a finalist that, that makes this <laughs> right. You, know, you can't right. do it. My, my finalists are Duke and Duke, can't run unopposed. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll wait before I make this official. But uh, what for people that have not seen Cooper Flag play? Because I've seen people describe this kid as a unicorn of sorts uh, in terms of like there's not a lot of people you can compare him to that he's that good. Um, I know both of you guys are, are hoops heads, especially when it comes to the recruits coming into Duke or guys that you're recruiting. What's the number one factor or attribute about Cooper Flag that you enjoy the most? I think it's defense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just watching him come out of nowhere. You think you you burnt by your guy and you got to lay up, and all of a sudden the ball's in the eighth row because Cooper just left his guy and 
you know, put his elbow over at the, the, yeah, that's the top of the bat, like the, the square. <laughs> like, yeah, this kid, he's got that. I think they said, you know, a lot of the experts are saying for, for his size under seven feet, he's the best shot blocker they've seen as a, you know, a, an under seven foot guy. His like off ball defense is incredible. Yeah. What about you, Josh? What's the one attribute you've got for Cooper that you're looking yeah. forward to seeing in a Duke uniform? Just the competitiveness, just the tenacity, like you're getting a dog, right? And I love those type of players. Like you think of a Justice Winslow, you think of these type, and you need them. This got just a little bit of MF in them, right? Just a that, little that, bit that, of that, that Leitner, that little Leitner yeah. in them. Yeah, and, and, and wants it too, yeah, right? Like yeah. doesn't shy away from it, looking for you. Um, you know, to me, it's if I could put like a, a more offensively potent Andre Kirilenko as a throwback, right. Of what he was wow, able okay. to do defensively. Yeah. Like Cooper, I don't think he's going to come in and average like 20 and 12 right. or anything like that. He's not Marvin Bagley, but he could average like 14, seven, four, three, two, like all the way across yeah. in terms of just what he's doing. Um, yeah. He, he's, it's, it's going to be something. Uh, now from my understanding, he's already considered the number one, NBA draft prospect for 2024. So, and he hasn't even set foot on campus yet at Duke. So he's, he's definitely going to be a one and done, but uh, going back to what we were saying at the beginning of this segment, maybe you don't have to worry about the hodgepodge of mixing together old and young because you're still getting <laughs> dudes like Cooper flag. I think sure. there was a little concern in the very beginning outside of Duke. I didn't really see a whole lot of Duke fans worried about John Shire and recruiting and picking up because they kind of knew uh, it's the same way I was with Hubert in Carolina. It's like, he's been here for like over a decade. He's been yeah. a part of the recruiting process the kids that are in the 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 process of deciding right now have already been around him. So when he took over, it wasn't like it was a brand new dude, and you're they're out of the running. Same with John; he was basically the head recruiter, right, for like the last five six oh, years. Yeah. So yeah, it doesn't sound weird that he's still picking up these top kids. He was the picking up the top kids before when K was still here. So uh, that kind of thing, I feel confident in the the rivalry still being fairly strong i've seen people say that they think the duke carolina rivalry is dead and that kind of stuff i'm like nah it's still there like it's it's a little different uh it feels newer with with hubert and, and john taking over the reins it's going to take you know one of them shoving the other or something to happen to <laughs> to read I mean, you tell me march 3rd or whatever that the rivalry is dead you're not waiting on that game all day <laughs> yeah, yeah right like right. what are you talking about like and i see people like ever since we did this or did that now i will say i've i've tempered my my hatred a bit since the final four two years ago like i can't get myself up the same way uh for the previous two now granted that might be because duke swept us last year <laughs> that might have had something to do with it but this and the weight of the game right like that's the first time ever final four you're not yeah. getting that again, it felt like right? the end of the movie yeah it yeah. felt like the end and it's like well now we're just kind of sticking around for credits and you know post scenes and stuff like that side but, quest yeah yeah <laughs> I, feel, <laughs> I feel like that with the the two teams they have now carolina actually finally having some depth this is the first team hubert's actually built in his own image, like what he wanted instead of coaching Roy's kids and Shire having two cycles underneath him to bring in the kids he wants, where for the most part, it feels like the K kids that were still there have pretty much gone. Right. I mean, for the most part, the people that are there right now are guys that Jeremy, Shire, only two are there. Yeah. Yeah. Two layovers, yeah. So it feels like it's a new, a new chapter, new era. Finally, um, Duke has picked to win the ACC. Who do you have challenging them? Cause the ACC is still pretty down. And we talked about this off air too. There's been a, uh, a uh, exodus of legendary coaches out of this conference due to retirement over the past three or four years where um, I'm trying to think the only, the only coach in the ACC that has a ring is Tony Bennett. Tony Bennett. Yeah. At Virginia, everybody mm -hmm. else 
rings oh, yeah. so far to date. So who would you who would you expect to step up to try to challenge Duke for for the ACC? I mean, I like Miami still. Coach L, I think he's a great coach. They still got some talent. They've still got uh, Nigel Pag. They've got uh, Norchard Amir, um, Wuga Poplar. They've got a team, so I still expect them to. I, that's who I would pick. My, that's my second place finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, Virginia, I'm kind of curious to see. Um, I know they lost a lot of guys. They still got Beekman, who's an incredible two way player. Um, but when when you bring in new guys to fill in. I, I don't forgot how many that they had transfer out. You bring in these new guys. Bennett's system's not like something you pick up super quick, right? right. So yeah. Just kind of curious to see how that uh, shakes out for those guys. And then, you know, Carolina's going to be that. Clemson, I like Clemson a lot, too, to be honest I, with you. I think Clemson I've seen some a slide. people mentioning Clemson a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. So, that, that'd be yeah. interesting. I, I think the SEC could surprise. I think a lot of it's just unknown. People don't know who's on these teams. <laughs> you know, yeah. all the transfers and people that left and went someplace else. Uh, Josh, real quick, who do you have challenging Duke for this? Because I do think Duke's going to be the front runner uh, through the season. Who do you have kind of challenging them for the ACC this year? I think when it's all said, I mean, and this is going to be kind of a homer pick, right? I do feel pretty good about Duke being at the top of it. And I'm not sure like how close second and third are going to be. But I think, you know, I agree with Virginia. Um, I have Clemson and Carolina right there and that like two, three mold. Um, A little out on Miami, to be honest with you. We'll see. Um, they lost some dudes though, you know, and I loved, uh, what was it? The Jordan Miller kid. Like he was phenomenal, huge fan of him. Um, you know, Pittsburgh's still, still around Virginia tech. Are are they ever going to kind of make that leap? The same could be said for Clemson though, as well. It's It's hard to trust some of these teams, but you know, I I think it's just going to be Duke and Carolina at the end of the day again. Right. Surprise, surprise. Virginia Tech, man. You have to go to Blacksburg, no matter what's on that roster. They're gonna they're gonna play you hard. Um, oh yeah, that's an environment. And we go there every year. Yeah, yeah we take an L there. It's <laughs> yeah. a spot, man. I think we lost up there last year too, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, yeah, I think people think the AC is down compared to previous years. Um, but don't worry, next year we'll have USC and SMU and Stanford in the mix. Oh, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> we'll have them in the ACC, and maybe we'll do an ACC tournament in Las Vegas or something like that. Who knows? Like yeah. the whole thing is just completely changed. <laughs> so uh, enjoy. Uh, I know you guys got Duke in Arizona Friday night. Uh, say hello to Caleb Love for the rest of us here. Um, I haven't kept up with how well or poorly he's been doing, but I think I've only played one game. But play one game, twelve points, yeah. and, they're, and they're ranked. Number 12. So this yeah. should be a pretty good test for Duke early on in the season. You guys are hosting that game, right? It's a camera. Yep. Yeah, camera. Yep. camera. Home and home. We'll, we'll play that up there next year. Yeah. Nice. Are you guys going to be uh, in attendance Friday night or? Unfortunately, not. I'll be at Shoes House watching the game. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is good. This is good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got to get these guys out of here. They are the host of the uh, Devil's Den podcast, Dustin Shoe and Josh Smith. Make sure you go and find them on, if you're, especially if you're a Blue Devils fan, uh, go find them on any major podcast platform. Follow them, subscribe to them, rate them, help them out. Uh, they'll be on all season long discussing Duke hoops. Appreciate you guys coming on. Yeah, hey, man. Des. Take care, Des. Coming up. David Glenn coming in. He's going to stump in the sports buffet like he does every other week. We'll start off with this whole Jim Harbaugh, Michigan thing. Is Jim Harbaugh going to be a Chicago Bears coach next year? I'll talk to him about that in a little bit more uh, after this. Franchise players here on WWBG 1470 AM and WTOB 980 AM. Franchise players are often referred to as the face of the franchise.
Welcome back into Franchise Players here on WWBG 1470 AM, part of your TGI Friday lineup. Every Friday afternoon, 3 to 6 p.m., the best in local sports talk here in the Triad. You can catch it here on WWBG. If you miss Franchise Players, you can catch it on WTOB at 6 p.m., um, 9.80 a.m., 96.7 FM. That's out in Forsyth County. Loaded, loaded slate later on tonight. We've got two high school football playoff games for you, two of the best teams in the state. East Forsyth hosting Independence. That's a 7 o'clock uh, kickoff. I'll be there with Hot Rod Funderburg. And in Greensboro, Grimsley take hosting Sun Valley. Both of those 4A state playoff games. That game just kicks off at 7.30. If that's on uh, for you, North Carolina A&T Hoops action is on as well. They're taking on or they're facing UNCG at the Greensboro Coliseum. Spencer Turkin will be on the call for that for the Aggie Sports Network. And that's all also, all three of those you can hear on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com later on today. Joining me right now, as he does in his bi-weekly jump through uh, franchise players from the North Carolina Sports Network, it's David Glenn. What's going on, brother? How you doing? I am doing great, Des. It's good to be with you again. Let's uh, let's hop right into the sports buffet. And I guess you could say the biggest story in sports kind of right now is the situation going on in the Big Ten in Michigan with uh, Jim Harbaugh. Um, what do you think should happen here? Because on one hand... And I've had a chance to talk to like uh, high school coaches and college coaches and things like that about this situation. And almost to a T, all of them are like, well, yeah, this goes on all over the place. Like this isn't anything new, but the level that Michigan has gone to to steal the signs is a little bit new in terms of having like staffers on the other sideline. And, you know, it's almost a Bill Belichickian type of thing, but it's at the college level. What do you think ultimately happens here with Michigan and Jim Harbaugh? They're the third-ranked team in the college football playoff poll right now and are in a prime position to to get into the playoff again. Yeah, number one, I'm not a huge fan of the everybody-does-it idea. Uh, I, I think it's often misapplied. For example, we would not treat Des somebody who was going 75 miles an hour in a 70-mile-an-hour zone. That's technically speeding, right? We would not treat that same person the same way if they were going 150 miles an hour and weaving through traffic while in a downpour during heavy traffic, right? right? I mean, they're both speeding, right? But we don't just say, oh, everybody speeds. It's true that almost everybody speeds. It's a, not true that all point. forms of speeding are the same, <laughs> right? Yeah. And in this particular case, whereas it is perfectly legal in some context to steal your opponent's signs, and that's why, at least until they get the helmet plays called in at the college level the way they do at the pro level, sign stealing is going to be a part of college football in the legal sense. But when you get to the point where you're, you've got a guy on your behalf going all over the country and violating NCAA rules about audio and videotaping those signals off campus, in person, th those are not allowed. Yeah. And there was a great poll done by The Athletic that I thought was much more, they asked the question in a much more compelling way of college coaches. And it was basically, should something be done here? And whereas some of the same coaches who said, some of this does go on, a huge majority of those college coaches said the Wolverines need to be held accountable. Now, the quick follow-up on that, and to me, if college coaches overwhelmingly say they need to be held accountable, then I'm with the college coaches on that because they live in that world in a way that I do not. But the postscript is the NCAA, which I've been following their really poor track record for enforcing their own rules for a long, long time, there is zero chance that the NCAA 
can do a thorough investigation between now and the college football playoff. Zero. Will not happen. And that's why there is a mountain of pressure on a brand new Big Ten commissioner because the NCAA could punish the Wolverines down the line, but we all know how that works. If they win the national championship, what's the most that could happen? You know, they vacate it or they suspend Jim Harbaugh or whatever. The NCAA cannot, is not, does not have the tools to solve this problem and execute this this uh, investigation on the timetable that most fans would like to see it done. And that means the Big Ten commissioner is the only person that is also in a position to reprimand or suspend or penalize the Michigan Wolverines. Um, he is under massive pressure. Michigan's lawyers have already told him that if he goes too far too fast, they're going to take him to court. And you might have like an injunction in front of a judge helping determine whether either Jim Harbaugh is allowed to be on the sidelines or I don't think it'll come to this. But if somehow the Big Ten wanted to, you know, prevent the Wolverines from being the Big Ten champion or going, that, that's probably not going to happen. But uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm one of those who believes that when you stray this far from the rules, uh, you need to be held accountable because it goes to the integrity of the game. And it is not mere coincidence, in my opinion, that Jim Harbaugh's track record at Michigan was a nice level until these shenanigans started. Right. And then it's off the charts, amazingly dominant since this stuff happened. As That's a baseball pitcher, I can tell you this, man. The batters were a lot better when the guy on second base was telling them what I was about to throw. And the batters were a lot worse when they had to guess whether it was a fastball, a curveball, or a changeup. Uh, and I just – I don't like to see those who break the rules go by unscathed. So I, I hope Michigan is held accountable. Again, I just don't know if it's going to happen on on this short timetable. Yeah, it's almost feels like the NCAA just kind of hopes that Michigan loses, like somewhere along the way. Right? So it kind of takes that aspect out of it because they don't want to be responsible for – you know, wrecking a potential national championship season, especially with a blue blood like Michigan of all teams. But on the other hand, to your point, you're absolutely right. They can't get away with it just because they're Michigan or because it's Jim Harbaugh. This is the second scandal that Michigan's been involved in in the past 12 months with the NCAA. Do you think it's the last season Jim Harbaugh coaches at Michigan? Because I do remember last year, and we're going to get to the Panthers in just a bit. Yep. I remember last year, Harbaugh kind of, people kind of forgot about it. He kind of sent out a feeler. I don't know if anybody remembers to, yep. to Charlotte, David Tepper, to kind of see what was going on with the coach. It was while the season was still going on. Wilkes was the interim head coach still, um, and they hadn't decided what they were going to do. But that story was out there that he was asking around about it, and then he ended up going back to Michigan. Do you think um, – and I mentioned this on a pod earlier this week. My vibe is that Jim Harbaugh is going to be the next coach of the Chicago Bears, like, start next year. Like, it just fits. Like, he's a former player. Yeah. He's got success in the NFL. They're going to have two top five draft picks based off of what happened last night. It looks like it looks like a ready-made situation for him to just go in there. They got a defense. I saw that last night. He could just go in there and start from scratch like he did in San Francisco and have immediate success in that division. Do you think there's a chance that he's gone from Michigan by the end of this year, or, or do you think he stays? I think there is a chance that he leaves, but I really think it's mostly a Jim Harbaugh decision. Remember, the, the Wolverines have not been relevant at the very top level of college football all that often in recent yeah. decades. He has them peaking in a way they have not peaked very often, you know, since the Bo Schembechler years, right? Yeah. And Michigan knows the value of that is really, really high. 
This is going to come down to whether Jim Harbaugh, who of course has been a successful NFL head coach, had that playing career in the NFL as well. I think it's going to come down to what he wants for the remainder of his uh, coaching career. Maybe he misses some things about the NFL. Maybe he sours on the NCAA if he ends up getting reprimanded or sus- uh, uh, suspended again in his case. Um, remember, he missed the, the opening of this season because right. of an NCAA suspension. Over cheeseburgers. So, you know, in this case, the guy's winning at such a level that even if you don't like him or you think he's a cheater or you think he's cutting ethical and moral and and NCAA rules uh, guidelines cutting corners on those things, he's in the driver's seat here because there are NFL teams that would want him, Bears or otherwise. And I think the majority of Wolverines fans are so happy to be in the national t- conversation again um, that they want might be wondering that if he leaves, there'll be another long delay but before the Wolverines are right up there next to those Ohio State Buckeyes on a regular yeah. basis again the way they are right now. Yeah, so we'll, we'll keep an eye on that because uh, we still got, what, like two two or three weeks left in the regular season? I think two uh, in the regular season. And then uh, they'll start to put in who's going to be in this playoff. And Ohio State-Michigan looks like it's going to be a de facto uh, first-round playoff game again like it was last year. So um, let's. We, I, I love the fact that the calendar lined up so we could do this because normally when we do this on a Friday, the Panthers haven't played yet. Right. Uh, they played Thursday night football, Chicago Bears. I don't know why the Chicago Bears have had so many primetime games this year, as well as the Giants. Like it feels like they're on primetime every weekend for some reason and shouldn't be, but I shouldn't be talking because the Bears defeated the Panthers last night, 16, 13, uh, Edie Pinero missed a 54 yard, uh, field goal with about a minute 40 left, uh, um, in the fourth quarter, uh, to basically secure the win for the bears. As you're watching these games and I'm going to start asking other people this as well, as well, because I do feel like I've been more protective of Bryce young, uh, in terms of his play. But the past couple of games in particular, maybe it's because Thomas Brown is calling the plays instead of Frank Wright. It feels like he's been exposed a little bit more in terms of what he can and can't do. What do you think is Bryce Young's biggest flaw right now when you're watching the Panthers play? I don't think he's a confident down-the-field passer. And right now, you know, think of all the moving parts on offense. Can the Panthers run the ball against most opponents? Answer, no. That adds pressure to the quarterback. Are the Panthers a dominant defensive team? No, I'd argue they're not a bad defensive team compared to how poorly they're playing on offense, but they're certainly not dominant on that side of the ball. What does that do? It adds more pressure to the quarterback position. And I think defenses are less afraid of Bryce Young's ability to throw the ball downfield. They know that he's better and more comfortable at hitting Adam Thielen, you know, in the flat or on a slant. Uh, Thielen has been, I think, you know, one of the Panthers' few highlights when you don't have a running game, you don't have a great offensive line, you don't have much experience, you're under a lot of pressure, three sacks against the Bears, um, and the defense is not as worried about you hitting those plays down the field, man, you just have almost no margin for error. And remember, the Bears were not a great defensive team heading into this week's game. Right, that's the confusing <laughs> thing, yeah. That's- <laughs> Same it's with the Colts last week. Right? And all things are relative. If you <laughs> if you only scored 10 or 13 points against the 1986 Chicago Bears, that's not embarrassing. No, right? not at all. <laughs> These Bears were have not been great. At, I wouldn't even say they've been good, and, and the Panthers only put up 13 points. So they're 1-8 for a lot of different reasons, and you're circling the biggest question. I mean, you could argue side by side, is Frank Reich really the right guy for this franchise? 
Um, and, and is Bryce Young really the quarterback of the future for this franchise? I'm not ready to declare conclusions on either one of those questions, but anyone whose finger points first at David Tepper has to remember, you know, that he who has the gold rules. Right. So whether you think he's the wrong owner or not, like that ain't going to change. Doesn't matter. Um, he, <laughs> he's going to be the one directly and indirectly making decisions about whether, you know, Frank Reich and Bryce Young in the bigger picture after this train wreck of a season are really the right guys to get the Panthers where David Tepper wants them to go. It feels like to me, um, and I was just talking to a friend about this, it, it almost feels like they built in a fail-safe on the coaching staff in case this blew up with Frank Wright being head coach with them having uh, uh, the defensive coordinator and Thomas Brown, the offensive coordinator, both of them interviewed for head coach. List of next guys that are going to go, and that's kind of what we got with this, this unit together, that they have a bunch of head coaches on the staff well, if they fire, fire mid-season, first season, hey, what coach is going to want to come here and and play underneath that owner who's so indecisive year one that you you know you're not getting done, you're out of here based on the circumstances around him. And two, what's the, what was the point of even putting on Thomas Brown and Ajiro uh, and all, all these guys on the staff if they're not going to be considered for that going forward? I would think Ajiro would be the interim head coach if that happened. But to me, the whole talk is crazy because we've only they've only played nine games. Like, yeah. And counting the fact that they have the most people on IR in any team in the league, if I'm not mistaken, they have like 13 guys on IR right now. Your top defensive players, plural, have missed multiple games this season. Uh, Brian Burns was out last night with a concussion. C.J. Henderson's a starting cornerback. He's out with a concussion. J.C. Horn's only played a quarter like this season. He's probably your best cornerback. Uh, it, it just feels like everything feels hard when I'm watching them play. Like yeah. it, even the most minor three-yard run for, you know, on first down. It just looks like they're having to try so hard to do whatever it is they're trying to do. And I don't know what the next part of this is. Should should Frank Wright take back play calling? Because it does feel like the offense has gotten worse, actually. It feels like it's regressed the past two weeks as opposed to what they were doing at least the first month of the season. They were kind of moving the ball around. Up Now that I think about it, they were kind of moving the ball up and down the field. They were on problem scoring, but they could yeah. move the ball. Now it's like they're having trouble moving the ball. They're having a lot of three and outs and to your to what you said, a lot of indecision with Bryce, where to go, and it feels like he's being told to go to one spot, and he's trained on that one spot, and he's not looking at the field like he would at Alabama. Would you, if yeah. you're, would you, would you put Frank Wright back in uh, top of uh, play calling, or does that matter? I think everything's on the table, but I think you're putting your finger on exactly what David Tepper is observing. I would personally be surprised even though he is a notoriously impatient guy as a business person. Uh, I'd be surprised if he made a change after year one, but I think he's a smart guy in some ways. And part of that is going to be scrutinizing the details, right? You and I talked back in August. And I think maybe you, if you're working for the Panthers, you're so emotionally invested that you can't see the forest for the trees sometimes, but it is not a shock to most outsiders and those paid to observe the, the NFL for a living. It is not a shock that Bryce Young is struggling as a rookie NFL quarterback and the Carolina Panthers are trending toward the bottom of the standings. Neither of those things should be a surprise yeah. to anyone looking at this picture objectively. Again, given the truly horrific track record of number over number one overall quarterback draft picks, you know, even the guys that ended up in the Hall of Fame were on bad teams and played statistically poorly as first-year NFL players. So I think David Tepper is looking at these little things. For example, 
there was no effort problem in that loss to the Bears, right? right. That was a 16-13 game that maybe if Panero hits that field goal, who knows, maybe the result changes. There have been a couple weeks where the Panthers have been truly embarrassed, but you scrutinize the player's attitude toward the head coach, the player's attitude toward the assistant coach, the the head coach's decisions about play calling uh, and and the coordinator's various roles. Um, Do you get better from game one to game 17, right? We have examples in college football were teams that looked horrifically bad in September actually look pretty solid in November. And and that's a tribute to that head coach who might be viewed differently by the athletic director in the college setting or obviously the owner here in the pro setting. So all these details matter. And as much as the rest of the regular season doesn't matter for the usual purposes, fans wonder about playoff positioning and all that stuff, that's out the window. But the rest of the season matters for those other reasons, and so do details like being among the league leaders on injured reserve players. I mean, David Tepper, when he takes a deep breath, is a smart guy. And he's going to look at all the complicating factors, including those we just laid out, when he makes his biggest decisions. And my guess is that those biggest decisions are going to include you know, going into next year with Frank Reich as the head coach, Bryce Young as the quarterback, and then scrutinizing all of those other details, free agency, of course, but also play calling and leadership and all the other things that it takes to, you know, David Tepper wants to turn the Panthers into the the Southern version of the Pittsburgh Steelers, the franchise where he was a minority owner. The Steelers are known for patience, consistent success, sometimes even winning through lack of talent and, and ugly you know, Steelers are not great statistically right now, but amazingly, they have another winning record under Mike Tom, Tomlin. It's Tom, on their way, Tom on their way to wins. Like David Tepper <laughs> has that mental blueprint, and I think the patience part of that blueprint um, is going to allow this experiment to play out a while longer. Uh, real quick before I get you out of here, a little ACC hoops because all that started this week as well. Uh, tonight, number fourth ranked Duke taking on 12th ranked Arizona means the return of Caleb Love to Cameron Indoor Stadium. Is Caleb Love the biggest villain in UNC Duke history? Wow. He's one of them um, from the, the Duke perspective. And, yeah. you know, keep, keep in mind, you know, Tyler Hansbro, they had to rename Cameron Indoor Stadium, Hansbro Indoor Stadium, right? Yeah, because good times, good times. <laughs> Hansbro has about as, as yeah, many feathers in his cap in that rivalry as you'll ever see. <laughs> but Caleb Love what, is a fascinating figure because he is a disappointing figure in the eyes of UNC fans, and yet he is that very successful villain in the eyes of Duke fans. I mean, Caleb Love hit one of the biggest shots in the history of that rivalry as Carolina beats Duke at the Final Four and sends Mike Krzyzewski into retirement. And oh, by the way, Caleb Love, I believe, won two of his three trips with the Tar Heels to Cameron Indoor Stadium over his three seasons with the Heels. I'm personally a believer that the Heels are better off getting a fresh start without Caleb Love who's a very complicated player, talented, but also mercurial. Mm -hmm. Look that up in the dictionary. It defines (laughs) Caleb Love, man. Uh, I also think he can still be good as an Arizona guard. We all know he's talented, but that marriage absolutely was not working in Chapel Hill. So I'm personally happy for both sides that they get fresh starts. And it is a rare, fascinating dynamic that Caleb Love, who who must have thought, you know, the day he decided to transfer from Carolina, he must have thought 
He's gonna he's gonna be a hundred years old and still talking about his two wins in Cameron and the shot at the Final Four over the Blue Devils. And sure enough, he gets him at least one more time, and, and it is going to be fascinating to watch how the Cameron Crazies receive him and how he plays against what is, I think, one of the best teams in the country, the Duke Blue Devils. Yeah, Duke looks pretty good from what I saw uh, from them. Uh, Carolina looks way better than they did the past couple of years. They can actually shoot, which is actually yeah. unique. Uh, I wasn't expecting that. Like, they got multiple guys, and Hubert's running like 10 dudes, which is kind of hearkening back to Roy Williams, Dean Smith stuff. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, we had the Devil's Den podcast host on uh, right before you, and we were asking, you know, who do you think is going to challenge Duke for the ACC? And Carolina popped up, a couple other Clemson, Virginia, you know, the, the regulars. Uh, Miami. Miami, yeah. So it's kind of a wait and see, but from what I've seen so far, between both Carolina and Duke. I think it's going to be those two top the ACC again. Um, we'll have you back week after next. Um, is, that, is that Thanksgiving week? It is. It is Thanksgiving week. Yeah. So we'll, and we'll, we'll have something on. We'll, we'll probably tape uh, after Thanksgiving uh, and have that on the 24th. So you'll be back with us then. We'll have some, uh, some more college football to discuss by then. We'll probably know what's going on with Michigan by then too, I would think. So, and we'll probably see where Florida state, they can hang on to one of these top four spots in the college football playoff for the ACC. We'll probably have a good idea who's going to be in the ACC championship game, all that good stuff. So we'll talk about all that and more uh, when he comes back. You can follow him on Twitter at David Glenn Show. Go subscribe to the North Carolina Sports Network on YouTube uh, right now. Good content coming out, plus the return of the David Glenn Show. That is there as well. So you can listen and watch all that stuff uh, there on YouTube on their channel. Appreciate you, DG. Well, given that timetable you just mentioned, I'll say I'm thankful for our relationship over these many years, man. Yes. So add that to our uh, happy Thanksgiving blessings. I look forward to next time. All right, coming up, Mark Pruitt from the Winston-Salem Journal will stop by. He'll preview that East Forsyth Independence playoff game as well as Grimsley versus Sun Valley and a bunch of other ones going on around the state. Second round is usually where things start to thin out a little bit in terms of who the real contenders and pretenders are. We'll get to that in just a bit. You're listening to Franchise Players here on WWBG 1470 AM.